It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no pizza. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Next fire in the fire, the system of the gang, the government for hire in the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, the jury beat it down your neck. The border trap is some the ground with that low plane flying and up for overflow, punching in the corner, too, but it'll lose the devil, save the devil, world in your own knees. See your heart, tell me the surrender in the river with the right. You patriotic, patriotic, plan might right, might feel it, it's pretty It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. Oh, that dark heart of the city. <laughs> that sounds like a song from by Frank Sinatra or Tony Bennett. I'm in the heart, dark heart of the city, and my girl's looking pretty. Aww. <laughs> da, 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 da. Sounds like a great song Doesn't to it me. Sound, yeah. You should record that. Dark Heart of the City by Dr. Bones. You should absolutely record that. That's Isn't there right. a group named Dr. Bones? Didn't yes, there is. Yes. YouTube? Yes. Uh, well, no, the song is Dr. Bones, and the group was actually called... Cherry Popping Daddies, no, which I don't know what that means. Didn't you tell me there's a I don't band know. named Dr. Bones? I, I, yes. No, it's a ba- the song is called Dr. Bones, and the band is called Cherry Popping Daddies. And what does that mean? I just don't know. <laughs> Cherry Popping Daddies. <laughs> yeah. No, but you showed me something on YouTube. That said there was a channel of Dr. Bones and it was music. Yeah, no, that the channel of Dr. Well, the one that I saw was basically there's some guy named Dr. Bones that's some kind of communist, I think. Oh, <laughs> spouts some weird stuff. He has like 200 followers. Oh, my goodness. And hopefully we that's have. That's not us. And we have more than that. I guarantee. That's not. That, that is not us. We have no connection to that at that's, all. That's right. <laughs> we love America. That's right. God, Homegrown Americans. God, that's what we are, honey. Yes. God bless America. <laughs> hey, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a fortress of faith in a forgotten world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones, the good Dr. Bones, of <laughs> doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. It's true. It is true. And you are? I am Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And today we are the watchers the gang. on the wall. Of two. We are the watchers on the wall. We are <laughs> the geezer and the goddess. We are all that kind of stuff. And we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Yes. Friends and neighbors. Uh-oh. Have you been injured in an accident? I hope not. With a horrific hamster. Well, what did you do with wait. that? What did you do with that thing? Anyhow. The horror. Get it? 
the, the horror, horror of the horrific, horrific hamster, hamster yes. incident. <laughs> well, our attorney <laughs> says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and her say me. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern standard. Modern (laughs) standards of... Maybe not Medical so standard, but something. modern yeah, yes. modern medicine whenever and wherever it is available. Sure, why not take advantage of the miracle of modern medicine? But what if something happens? What if help is not just around the corner? Someone's got to deal with the injuries and illnesses and tough times, and that someone might just be you. So right. show me and the world that you got some gumption, that you've got more sense than the Lord gave a sack of salamanders and get some knowledge. And while you're at it, why don't you get some supplies and maybe a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated but never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They will help you deal, I promise you, with medical issues you'll face in any disaster. And they're designed by, indeed, an old country doctor, an honest-to-gosh medical doctor, and hers truly, a advanced registered nurse practitioner now yeah doodles that's right compare our kits for contents quality and cost with anyone else's stuff i dare you to and another thing you mm-hmm. can just look at our testimonials page you could see comments from people who have bought them or just ask anyone who's ever bought one and you will agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage our kits are approved for your health savings accounts too so Use that money up to get some medical supplies for you and your family. Yeah, don't let that money go to waste. I've had people tell me, I wish I would have known. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Don't let that go to waste. That's a very important thing. Get some tangible benefits from it. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you as you do from us. So don't listen to a word we say. I mean, no. I mean, uh, why not connect with the queen and the codger? (laughs) (laughs) It's easy. Because Miss Nurse Amy is here yes. to explain the process of connecting with us. Well, simple way is email drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. We also have a Facebook page, Doom and Bloom, and you can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel at drbonesnurseamy. I want to mention that on our new website, we have all of these connections. All you have to do is click a button at the top of doomandbloom.net. Or if you have gone to a page, an article, or to look at a video, on the right side, I have some new banners. One is for the YouTube channel. You cannot miss it. (laughs) And underneath that is for this podcast. So all you have to do is click those. I'm trying to make it super easy. Oh, when do you want me to mention uh, our three classes I just put up? Oh, well, just let me uh, just say a very quick thing about... But coming up, we're going to talk about classes. That's right. So, (laughs) of course, we have Survival Medicine Hour, what you're listening to right now on Blog Talk Radio and also on KYH Radio and 
uh, Utah, which carries this podcast as well. Thank you very much, you guys. And uh, we also have our other podcast, American Survival Radio, all about current events, broadcasts from KPJC, KRFE, KFAR, KMET, WNE. Wow. There's a lot of There's a lot of land-based radio stations throughout the U.S. of A., as well as Internet stations as well. Our good friends at the Prepper Broadcast Network are just one example. So go ahead and tell us. We are going to be uh, doing special classes, eight-hour classes, and we're going to be traveling the country for them. Yes. Well, again, I've tried to make it super easy to find this information. So at the top of the new website, in the menu, you will find the word classes. And if you click on that, you'll be taken to the medical classes page. It will give you descriptions of the suture staple class and also our bleeding class when we do that one separately. And then the advanced eight-hour survival medicine class. Now, not only does that that bigger class, the eight-hour class, include all of the bleeding class and all of the suture staple class, it includes burn management, fracture sprains and strains management. We talk about uh, antibiotic use and fish antibiotics. Um, just uh, doing a physical history, we actually teach you how to do a blood pressure. So the cuff and the stethoscope that we give you as part of your gifts, because we give you a lot of gifts, you're going to take them out, and we're going to practice doing blood pressure. So, but on top, so of, you know how to do that, uh-huh. right? On top of that, we're that, which is pretty basic stuff. We're going to teach you some more advanced stuff, such as how to recognize, let's say, the sound of pneumonia yep. while you're listening on on stethoscopes. That's right, and also uh, the sound of bronchitis and the sound of let's say, a foreign object in an airway. And there are a lot, of, a lot of different things that we'll be talking about, not just uh, doing suture classes and staple classes. We're going to be learning that, too, how to stop bleeding. And, gosh, so much stuff, you can't shake a stick. <laughs> okay, so let me tell them where these classes are. So the three classes I've added, one is at our warehouse, our actual warehouse where all these kits are built, in Weston, Florida. That's west of Fort Lauderdale, uh, just before the alligators. <laughs> yeah. Just before the yep. so just first alligator on the left. Leave Fort Lauderdale Airport and drive straight west, and just before you see the alligators, there's Weston, right by the entrance of Alligator Alley. So that is on August, sorry, August, July 14th. And once you be there about 8.30, I know it says eight hours, but plan on more like nine. (laughs) Nine plus. Right. It's got to (laughs) be. Honestly. It's not a kidding around kind of class. It's a serious class. Yeah. Don't expect to leave before about seven. Just just warning you guys. Um, The next class is uh, an interesting trip for us. We're going to be in Big Sky, Montana at a a wilderness conference. Right. We'll be attending a wilderness Wilderness medicine conference. Conference, uh, conference. Right. very interesting. It's, that's going to be exciting for us. And uh, we're going to go to Bozeman, Bozeman, Montana. There is a Marriott Residence Inn in Bozeman. And again, this is, all these details are on the uh, classes page. That one is on August 4th. It is a Saturday. So maybe the only time we're in that area, we'll see. 
It's, it's the right. first time we're in the area. That's right. That's right. We Last were, time I've been to Yellowstone. Want to see the country? Yes. I was um, eighteen many years ago. <laughs> so that's the second class. The third class, and hopefully not the final class, is on October twentieth. We'll be back, of course, in the love of our lives at our vacation home in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and. Right up from there is a town called Sevierville, and just past that is Kodak, which is kind of sort of in between Asheville and Knoxville. So it's a pretty good access. It's right off of, uh, what's that called, I-40? Yes. So I-40. Right, exactly. If you're in that neck of the woods. A little bit east of Knoxville and a little bit north west of Asheville. Right. We've done a couple of classes in that area, and mm-hmm. we've had a really good response, and uh, I'm expecting the same. So that's at sure. a Hampton Inn and Suites. Right. So um, three classes, um, and, and probably probably going to add another one September somewhere. Maybe. That's right. I'm we not. Don't know. I'm not sure where. We don't know. If, if you <laughs> have, if pick you, a place. <laughs> if you guys have any suggestions, well, I'll tell you what. Send them to us at drrbonespodcast at awl.com. We love to hear. From Maybe you. we should throw an arrow at a map and see That's where it lands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know well, where I'd might, really might love to go. Might end up in Pakistan. You never know. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know where I'd love to go. I'd love to go up to like Maine, like the coastal area uh-huh. of Maine. We've talked about doing that right for a long time. Right. If we can get a number of people that are interested, if you've got a church, if you've got a uh, a club or a survival preparedness group, then, group right? Or exactly. Even a loose association. Right. With like-minded neighbors. That's right. Absolutely. I think. A, and even, you know, I've, I've had police groups ask us, uh, firefighters that are all sort of like-minded. So, you know, your group could be part of a work environment, too. Right. We should do one in New York City, see if anybody shows up. Actual New York City. <laughs> well, my daughter's in Brooklyn, so we could go. Brooklyn. if anybody needs survival skills, it's... Yeah. It's folks it's in those New York guys. City. I will tell you how that. to get out, how to survive. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. Oh, I wanted to mention. I did mention some something about Ebola last time. The great What's news. What's new? The good news is that uh, they're still at about fifty-one or fifty-two cases. Uh huh. And there is not apparently any evidence that it's traveled beyond uh, the country of Democratic Republic of Congo. And that is where, actually, it all began at the Ebola River, no less, in 1976 uh, in the Congo. And that is, so far, under pretty good control, which shows a lot about our learning, although maybe by trial and error. Yeah. Learning about... Sadly, we talked about that last week. Right, what to to do to deal with it. There's a, a vaccine that's being... Given out, it's still sort of experimental, but it seems to at least not harm people. I have to tell you, if I was in that area and I I couldn't leave, it was just my home, and I had seen and witnessed over the past few years what has happened to people, I would totally get the vaccine. Right. I know it sounds scary, and you and I don't really get vaccines too much. <laughs> I think the last time we got a vaccine was, what, four years ago? Probably, yeah. Yeah, at least the flu. We just try to eat healthy and be healthy. Make sure you use a lot of hand sanitizers and don't go to a lot of places where there are many, many, many people in close proximity. That's right. (laughs) No stadiums. We don't go to stadiums and things like that. 
So anyhow, so the Ebola virus this time around seems to be staying in the area where it is endemic. It's shocking. The word endemic means that it is a disease that is in the area. Uh-huh. Naturally, it is part of part and parcel of the kinds of illnesses that people get in the area. Mm-hmm. And this is indeed the ninth, ninth outbreak in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The epidemic in 2014 in West Africa was far away, or at least hundreds of miles away, from the area where it first started out in the Congo. And sure enough, that probably is a reason why it was so virulent, because people were not ever exposed to it and developed absolutely no immunity. And of course, we've learned by trial and error how to deal with uh, a lot of these cases. We know that they need to be given fluids uh, because a lot of them die of dehydration right. because they bleed or they they just, well, I mean, if you had a very high fever, you would sweat a lot yeah. and lose a lot of fluids. That exactly. way you get diarrhea there. You do get All diarrhea. sorts of stuff. Yeah. And, of course, uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo is not shy about restricting, restricting travel uh, within the country and the fact that that disease is an endemic disease not an epidemic disease. That's what the West African epidemic was, an epidemic disease, because it was a disease that normally isn't in the area that arrived there. And so that was the, that's the nature of an epidemic disease. An endemic disease means a disease that pops up from time to time in the area and is sort of expected, like things like malaria would be expected in a lot of tropical countries. Right. So anyhow, hopefully we won't be hearing too much about Ebola in terms of any significant number of people. I mean, 50 cases, I mean, it's not a small number of people. I mean, half of them died, so it is indeed pretty really? bad. Really? Yeah, 50% it's rate? It's a bad wow. strain of Ebola, but the, it's not 28,000 cases sure. like there were sure. in West Africa with 11,000 deaths. Well, I think now... They're actually recognizing it much faster. And also, like you said, they learned the lessons about how to actually contain this disease. Exactly. You know, that the practices of their burials were leading to family members getting Ebola from someone who had just passed away. Right, because they physically washed the body. With their hand, bare right. hands. They were but, touching all right. these fluids. But the virus is in the sweat, in yep. the blood, diarrhea, things that... Any any fluids that the dead person had, then and the virus is still the person's dead. The virus is still alive. Sure. And it only took five or five to twenty viral particles to actually give you the disease. So hopefully uh, they've changed a little bit there. I'm not sure that they have, but at least some of the other things they're doing. This vaccine perhaps uh, may save some lives. Or I mean, they may have the same rituals, but. Hopefully, they've spread the education that, you know, because this is going on, you need to wear gloves. Maybe, right, gloves and a mask, or maybe as simple as that. Apron, you know, covering, and maybe they're helping provide those things to folks that have to bury their dead. Right, well, simple things may make a big difference. Absolutely. Well, and I'll tell you one thing that's complex, and we haven't figured out what to do about it yet, is the... Recent spate of shootings that we've seen, mass murders in schools and churches and things like that, 
Just recently, a high school in Santa Fe, Texas, was the scene of a mass murder with at least 10 people killed and many, many more wounded. Uh, I think a 17-year-old student was identified as the killer in that particular one. I'm not going to mention names because I just That's think right. that gives them publicity. That's right. So not, not my thing. He was uh, able, actually, to take a shotgun, a pistol, and some pipe bombs onto school grounds. I don't know how they... I think anybody who... This is the one who w- had started wearing a trench coat. Ah, okay. Well, So he he made this a pattern uh-huh. previously. Well, maybe so trench coat. So people just got used, used to, to seeing, seeing him, him in the trench coat. In the trench. Now, whether he had planned to shoot and to be able to bring guns, and this was his pre-plan, I will just get people used to seeing me in a trench coat and make it part of my, you know, standard wear, and then... What'll happen is it might be odd at first, but um, if he doesn't have strange behavior because of the trench coat, people just got used to it. Oh, that's just what he wears. He's just right. kooky that way. And then he was able to smuggle these in because he got everyone used to his new behavior. So then they started ignoring it. Exactly. I wonder if there's a rule against trench coats in Texas high schools now. <sighs> well, that's interesting. We're going to talk about some of that, but... Uh, this is important because we just had a shooting a while back at a high school near our home in South Florida that took li- the lives of 17 uh, people, mostly teenagers. And, you know, that sort of natural Im- immunity that you think you have or you think your area has against these types of things, I mean, it's being disproven pretty much on a very regular basis. Uh, you just look at the head headlines. Schools have been the targets recently, but we've seen churches, workplaces. We've seen all sorts of public venues, gun-free, by the way, public venues, yeah. to be at risk. <laughs> and so you have to realize that people that are disturbed or disgruntled or maybe even politically motivated are often armed not just with weapons but with blueprints. And the blueprints are drawn up by these previous attacks and there's still a work in progress. I mean, they're honing their Ugh, craft, horrible. so to speak, to make sure they maximize casualties. That's their goal. And, you know, if you just read the headlines, if you were a potential killer, you can take notes. You know, just access the headlines and you'll find out how to do this kind of thing. Oh, uh, there, you know, that's all over the news. But basically, there are websites that will tell you how to build and do terrible things to other human beings. I frankly don't think that that should be allowed, but I guess, you know, the whole free speech, you can't censor things. But I'm sorry, if you've got a website that tells someone how to build a home bomb, I'm not sure that's really something anyone needs to know. Go to school if you want to learn how to do things like that, you know, for good, for human good, you know, for our military, build it you know, under contract and in a safe environment. I don't know. There's just certain things that shouldn't, shouldn't, we shouldn't have access to. And I know that sounds like censorship, but well, I, I just see no to, purpose to it. I think it's a good idea to have a good, uh, to know who the heck you're teaching to make bombs. So uh, I hope that is a few and far I between kind think, of thing. I can't think of any good reason to have a website that tells you how to how do to make things like that. Exactly yet. right. Not one good reason. You know what really struck me about the uh, school shooting in Santa Fe is the attitudes of the students. There was a teenage girl that was interviewed by a news outlet and she said 
Well, it's been happening everywhere. I always felt like it eventually was going to happen here. Ugh. I wasn't surprised. I was just scared. Wow, oh what a gosh. sad statement that is of the I, state of affairs. I want everyone to not expect it. I want you to be aware it can happen. But to that's really sad that you go to school and just expect one day there's going to be a shooting. That is terrible. These kids shouldn't have to think about that. Absolutely. But the thing is, is she's scared, but she's not surprised. So, but Ugh. you don't know, you didn't hear her saying, oh, well, yeah, so therefore I always keep a close eye out around me and, you know, keep vigilant about things. Didn't say anything like that. I mean, she's sort of complacent about it, I thought. And I think it's time to replace complacency with action here. Yep. We're going to keep our schools, our churches, and other public venues safe. And there might be a number of state uh, steps that you can take that might help in this mission. Uh, in, improving security, that's obviously a priority. And how are you going to accomplish that? Of course, if you've got the budget for it, place more trained security, armed security at school entrances. I think that's of paramount importance. Uh, many schools have taken steps in this regard, but uh, more are needed both in numbers and visibility. These, I, I think they're worried about scaring students. But I think that these guys have to be visible, visible, visible. I mean, if it's obvious that trained armed security is a feature of every school entrance, well, some gunmen may just abort their missions. That's right. So that's something that's very important. Now, entrances, of course, should funnel visitors through areas with trained security and maybe scanners that can identify weapons. Uh, entry points should be limited in number and most Entry points should be locked down, except for emergency exits. I mean, sure, obviously, you can get out of the school, for example, but not into a school except for some of the main entrances. Uh, there are school perimeters. All of these should be fenced. They should be monitored. should be able to see what's going on. Of course, some people will ask how schools can afford multiple professional security guys. Well, the question should be, how can we afford as a society, not to have our children safe. How are we going to afford to have our children mowed down like sheaves of wheat in these kinds of attacks? The price for school safety, it's not cheap, but it's too important to pinch pennies about. That's for darn sure. Now, some areas might be able to supplement their their paid personnel with trained volunteers. There are a lot of People in each community that are probably invested in school safety, church safety, may be willing to donate some time to keep students safe and to be trained, you know, to identify threats, maybe notify authorities, provide first aid when needed. I think that's something that's very important. An uh, in, in issue maybe that should be addressed immediately, I think, is the protocol related to fire alarms. Shooters have learned to pull alarms in order to get targets out of classrooms and into corridors where they are easier and softer targets. This tactic is one similar to the one used in the South Florida high school incident where the gunman actually pulled the alarm and a bunch of students just sort of filled the corridors and wound up being pretty easy targets so right. you know the bottom line is there are multiple unsuspecting targets that are densely packed in the halls if an alarm is set off 
Uh, fire alarms are necessary, of course, and, and an order, orderly process is needed to move large numbers of students out of buildings. The same process, however, isn't always the best strategy for terror events. But you need some kind of different type of alarm, a clearly different alarm, maybe a foghorn, maybe a siren or something like that, as opposed to the the classic fire alarm that we have that you just pull pull down. There has to be some way to warn of this type of incident and train staff instead of allowing everybody to just run right into the uh, the corridors. Well, I mean, that's all well and good if it's clear that there's a fire and a fire alarm is sounded, but if a shooter alarm or other kind of alarm uh I don't know, name it whatever you want to name yeah, it. Yeah, some different is, type. sounds right, different, exactly. then there's a different protocol <clears throat> as to what happens with that. Maybe trained staff could then uh, enter and maybe quickly explore hallways while awaiting for police response and maybe have people stay in place. Maybe there should be a way to lock each of these doors from from the inside or maybe put in some kind of bar to the door that can be, you know, quickly closed so that people cannot go into a classroom when kids are hiding away from somebody that is a... You know, that's a tough one because what if there's some emergency and, you know, some crazy teacher has locked the door and emergency personnel can't get in? Fire alarm. Fire alarm should work. In that case, it's a different process. With no. the fire alarm goes off, everybody into the hall and out. No, I'm talking about if you allow a barricade for a particular classroom, if you have a crazy teacher, they can barricade that door, do something to the children that are now locked in there, and nobody can get in, is what I'm saying. If you put some okay. bar or some inside lock... So it goes both ways. Right. Well, it should Sometimes be a bar that can be easily removed from somebody that's inside the room. But but the other thing is See that... See what I'm saying? What if the shooter's in that room and they put the bar on that door? Now the police can't get in. Well, that's actually... You know what I'm saying? Well, that would be a risk. I, I don't think the risk so of a, t- of a, a teacher thing. being the mass murderer. Well, I know. I think that's very, very unlikely. I don't think no, the only thing have they... Have we had something like that? I don't think we've ever had an attack like that. No, I don't think a teacher's done that. I'm just, you know... All scenarios. That's just how I was trained right. as well, I was there's growing nothing, up. There's Think pros of and cons, everything. Pros and cons to everything. So never trust so, anyone. <laughs> good, good point. But I still think something like that might not be a bad idea. Of course, the main thing to do is to instill a culture of situational awareness in our younger generation. I think that would be a great idea. Maybe in our teachers, uh, that would be a way to decrease future attacks and at least the number of casualties, not get rid of them altogether, maybe. Mm-hmm. And situational awareness, you probably have heard me talk about this before a number of times. I mean, that's a state of calmed, relaxed observation that maximizes the ability to spot threats. And these threats, we call, we call these threats anomalies. In other words, things that are happening that shouldn't be happening or things that are not happening that should be happening. So things that are anomalies should be recognized and they can recognize they can identify people that are suspicious individuals and perhaps save lives. Of course, situational awareness always involves having a plan of action when a threat occurs, which if you ask the average school, school child, they probably don't know what you're talking about. But 
even if it's as simple as just having an idea of where the nearest exit is. Absolutely. That might do it. And nearest exit at the theater, nearest exit at the mall, nearest exit at work, nearest exit at school or church. These, this all seems like I know plain old common sense. This guy isn't telling you anything that you should know already, but I mean, in, it's just a good reminder. It's That's a good all. reminder. I think in the, in the era of smartphones, so many of our young people are have their heads buried in their smartphone. They're oblivious of their surroundings. In the old days, the worst that can happen, you can get a bump on the head from walking into a street lamp. But today, the consequences are really much, much worse. So we have to teach our citizens to be observant. We have to teach our citizens to avoid that natural paralysis that comes in an unsuspecting circumstance. The gunman at Santa Fe caused 20 casualties. And he had, what, a, gun, a pistol and a, and a shotgun. I mean, you probably couldn't, you, you probably would have to reload to get the number of casualties that he had. He had 20 something casualties right if you include the dead and injured or just pick a different gun and you said he had more than one with him he had a a pistol and and a shotgun according to the reports that i read so even still it's very possible that he may have had to stop to reload and if that's the case well (sighs) maybe some quick action when a gun's being reloaded might make a difference uh, I remember the shooting in the Orlando nightclub. That was, what, a year and a half ago or two mm-hmm. years ago. That had 200 <clears throat> casualties at least. And you know that, that there was re- multiple times that there was a pause to reload on the part of the gunman. And maybe action, I mean, I wasn't there, so I can't tell you, but maybe action by people at the scene might have caused a few less casualties. You know, having said that, I mean, it's hard to act when your brain isn't trained to do so. Right. So, and so maybe we can infuse some of this training at a relatively young age. I mean, how young is dependent on you. I mean, you may have your own ideas about it, certainly by high school, uh, you know, to make it that it becomes second nature to do the right thing that might actually save lives. So I think that the Department of Homeland Security has, has a triad called Run, Hide, Fight, and that's pretty simple, and it could be part of the answer. Number one, you hear gunfire or something, anything that sounds like gunfire, run in the opposite direction. Probably Hit the road, a good Jack. Idea. Right. Run, exactly. run, run, run. If you can't run, hide. And if you're in a school, some kind of school, mm-hmm. then you push a desk maybe against a door or make it difficult for a gunman to go in there. Remember, they, these events usually don't last too long, and... These guys are looking for the best way to make mass casualties, and if they have to figure out a way to get into the room, then that takes time, and time they may not have because police are usually on the way. So it could be part of the answer. Um, Why not train our students in first aid techniques? Make that a standard part of high school or, or middle school or some, you know, some older children kind of thing. You know, rapid action by bystanders, that is well known to decrease the number of deaths from hemorrhage. And, you know, maybe if we add reducing hemorrhage to reading, writing, and arithmetic, I have a fourth R in there, maybe we could save some lives. Absolutely, honey. Now, I don't know how you feel about this out there, but Big Brother is already with us, so maybe we should look 
to social media posts. I identify people that may be pre-serial killer, Oh, you gosh. know, by their social media posts. Many active Jeez. shooters are pretty vocal about their intentions. You know, you, I know Big Brother, bad idea in, in a lot of cases, but... I know. I'm talking about censoring things on the Internet. (laughs) You're talking about watching out for things. I mean, it's just part of today's culture. Right. We have to be more vigilant, more aware. We have to identify the warning signs. Watch people's behavior. Right. Identify warning signs. They totally knew this guy in Parkland was going to go nuts. The kids knew it. The teachers knew it. Everybody knew it. The police was called I don't know how many times. On this kid. Right. And yet he was still able to grab a hold of his guns and get to the school and and just do terrible, terrible damage. Well. Not only physically, but emotionally to those kids. You know, public safety and your privacy, there has to be some kind of reasonable balance. If there's a serial killer that's in, in your area that's pretty vocal about how many people he's going to kill in your area... In the near future, well, you know, maybe we need to have some action there. I mean, I know it's free speech and all that, but you still can't yell fire in a movie theater. We always have to be on the lookout for signs of trouble. You know, that's that's main the main thing. Now, it might drive some of these potential mass killers underground, but it might identify other people in time to prevent an attack. Now, remember, we're not going to be able to eliminate these attacks altogether and there will always be some attacks but the bottom line is we need to decrease the number of them and decrease the number of casualties and in addition to providing first aid training maybe providing first aid kits for bleeding in public venues uh that can be accessed by those on the scene you have a number of great kits for that specific purpose i know you have multi-person kits for schools and churches you have uh, individual kits for vehicles workplaces you you have a number of great kits and they all contain things that the even the military recommends to stop bleeding and if anybody would know that would be then <laughs> so we've learned a lot about uh, how to stop deaths from hemorrhage and we found that one in five deaths from hemorrhage could indeed be stopped by the quick action of a bystander so you know there'll be lots of good samaritans i'm sure in situations like this but you know you got to put some supplies in their hands so definitely take a look at nurse amy's kits over at store.doomandbloom.net some kind of kit like that is if you don't have it in your school or your church donate one to them see if you can help these people get into the 21st century and realize that there are dangers and their kids have to be protected. That's right. Of course, there's that debate of uh, arming teachers. That, I think, depends oh, on the community. I think so few a teachers... I, in a lot of places, so few teachers know how, even know how to use firearms. Well, yeah, I don't know if I want somebody who's new to the whole carrying a gun situation to to be toting a gun in a school. I really want someone to have excellent training. You need to see a professional. You need to take not just one course, but probably a few courses, practice a lot. Um, You know, it's just not a simple thing. Now, however, if you are someone like me who grew up around guns, who have 
shot frequently and had training and knows exactly how to do it safely and knows all the safety rules about guns, like never point a gun in anyone's direction, whether or not you think it has a bullet in it or not, that's just one rule. That's an absolute rule. Never, ever, ever, not even at their foot, point a gun. I don't care if your finger is not on the trigger. Things have happened. But anyway, so if you are someone who's comfortable, who's had some training, maybe go through an actual course that it puts you in a school situation. They have training drills now that is simulates classroom activities and you being in front of a desk and or standing and what you would do, how you would get the kids safe, how you would maybe draw the weapon, where would you be pointing this weapon, you know, so that you're under a stressful situation but in a training situation. So if somebody can do that and and prove that they know how to keep the kids safe and, and be safe with the gun and, and where are they storing it, how is it locked up, what are you doing with it uh, when, if you leave the classroom for a moment, where is that gun? It has to be on your person. Even if you go to lunch, you cannot leave your gun in a desk or in your purse inside the desk. It has to be secured upon yourself at all times so there's no chance that any curious child who may or may not be stable, can right. get a hold of this gun. Can't be in the top drawer of your right. de- teacher's desk. Exactly, death. or, ta- or not- taped underneath, like, right. like, you know, you might be able to do at home, you know. Right. Well, so if if they have training and they know what they're doing, I I would love to see every teacher armed. But well, I know it's it not possible. It will never it will happen. It never happen. You have to remember I am strictly in, in general, honestly, teachers are not of the... Political persuasion in general that would look kindly upon guns in the area, period. I understand. And if you were a if you were a teacher in the I midst never, of these excuse teachers, me, excuse me. I never said that. I know that that will happen. I just strictly said that is oh, my yes, dream and that is my wish. I, in the reality of it. We have way too many people in charge of our school systems that are not Much of a that. not <laughs> of a arm your teacher mindset, and we'll just call it that for whatever reason, whether it's political or or religious or whatever it is that they blame is the way they grew up, it's the way they think. Those people are in charge. We it's happened here in Broward County. Parents were screaming, some of them, groups of them, that we need to arm our teachers. And the government, the governor, said, yes, you're absolutely right, and they passed a bill. But they left it up to the counties. And And the superintendent. And so, of course, what is the Broward County superintendent of our school system immediately come out and say, there is no way he's going to let teachers take guns to school. Okay, great. So now Broward County schools are still targets. Soft targets, I'm sure you talked about soft targets, meaning there's clearly no guns if any and possibly on a security guard who may or may not run to your rescue, as shown in Broward County. Absolutely. However, there there was one or two brave people who 
took care of the Texas. Right. They they ran. Right. There may be more without thinking. I mean, there there, you know, we've got some really good people in this country. And the teacher, there was a teacher in Parkland, who was ex-military, who was not allowed to carry a gun. He died because instead of being able to shoot the guy. And stop him, even if he shot him in the leg. I'm not saying you have to shoot someone in the head every single time. But even to to shoot him in the leg, to bring him down, to be able to disarm him, he couldn't do it. He got killed. So, anyway. But my dream would be, uh, frankly, my feeling is an armed society is a polite society. Absolutely right. <laughs> Absolutely right. Well, the truth is you don't have to be a Department of Homeland Security official to know that there are going to be more active shooter events on the horizon. We've got to be a prepared nation. We might not be an invulnerable to attacks, but we want to give our citizens the best chance to survive them. Hey, you know, we're thrilled to be part of our good friend Jack Spierko's expert counsel at his popular survival podcast. Uh, he has a big website there, and he's done, I think, 2,000 podcasts or more. I, I guess you can call him the granddaddy of <laughs> all, is, although he's not that he old. He's the mad podcaster. Yeah, the mad podcaster. <laughs> he's done probably more podcasts on preparedness than just about anybody else. And we're glad to have been on his show a number of times, and we're also glad to be on his show as part of his expert council where people – call in questions and we answer them as best mm-hmm. that we could. And so we decided to add a question or two to the end of this show uh, that is useful from the standpoint of survival and preparedness. Absolutely. And one here that we have is from someone that is actually in the country of Germany. And so it shows that we we also also by the way have a number of people that are all right. We are an international audience as well, and yep. so I just want to let you know that we aren't ignoring you, and we have all sorts of. You know, we encourage you to contact us as well. And this particular question is about specifically about fungal infections, what to do about them, and you're making me itchy. <laughs> <laughs> Itchy, itchy, itchy. (laughs) That's right. And here is my answer to this person. Hi, Joe Walton, MD here, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand articles, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm also the co-author of the Book Excellence Award winner in medicine, The Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. Today's question for the expert counsel is from Kate in Germany. How would you prepare to treat fungal infections of either the skin or toenails when in a situation without access to a doctor or specific prescriptions? I know people who have recurrent issues with both fungal infections to skin and nails. From what I know, they're not directly painful, but maybe a sign of a weakened immune system can be uncomfortable and widespread to many people and persistent. Where I am in Germany, medication is generally available over-the-counter, but it's advised to seek medical advice first for a clear diagnosis and prescription. I'm wondering how you would advise to deal with fungal infections if access to medical systems wasn't available. Specifically, can we use medicinal herbs for that purpose and or strengthening the immune system, or is a more simple stocking up of over-the-counter medications the only option? Thanks, Kate. Kate Athlete's Foot, also known as Tinea pedis, 
is an infection of the skin caused by a type of fungus known as trichophyton. This is usually seen between the toes and on the toenails, and you might also see it on other parts of the feet, or maybe even on the hands, usually between the fingers if it occurs there. Fungal infections like athlete's foot are contagious and are passed by sharing shoes or socks or even by wet surfaces such as shower floors. Those people that are affected by athlete's foot may find themselves also with other fungal infections such as ringworm or jock itch. What are risk factors for fungal infections on your feet? Any fungal infection is made worse by certain conditions, moist conditions mostly. These people that are in moist conditions usually spend long hours in closed shoes, keep their feet wet for prolonged periods of time, have had a tendency to get cuts on their feet and on their hands, and maybe perspire a lot. Now, to make a diagnosis, look for flaky skin between the toes or fingers. The skin may appear red and the nails somewhat discolored. You may also notice itching or burning in the affected areas, and that could be sometimes pretty severe. If the skin has been traumatized by scratching, you might see some fluid drainage. Often, the damage caused by scratching is worse than the infection itself. If the condition is mild, keeping your feet clean and dry may be enough to allow a slow improvement of the condition. Oftentimes, however, a topical antifungal ointment or powders such as myconazole or clotrimazole are required to eliminate the condition. In the worst cases, oral prescription antifungals such as fluconazole are needed. Now, don't use anti-itching creams very often as it keeps the area moist and may delay healing. Patience is a virtue when it comes to monitoring the healing process for fungal infections. It may take more than a month for a significant case of athlete's foot to resolve. Now, you talk about what home remedies you can use. There are many home remedies for fungal infections, especially ones that affect the feet. A favorite one involves placing tea tree oil liberally to a foot bath and soaking for about 20 minutes or so. Dry the feet well afterwards and then apply a few drops of tea tree oil to the affected area. You should repeat this process about twice daily and try to keep the area as dry as possible in between. For prevention of future outbreaks of athlete's foot, you might apply a little tea tree oil once a week before putting on your socks and shoes. It's a good idea to give yourself a week of rest, by the way, from this treatment about every three to four weeks. There are other essential oils that may be helpful in a foot bath. A partial list includes, of course, tea tree, which I just mentioned, cinnamon bark, lemongrass, rosemary oil, clove oil, oregano oil, peppermint oil, lavender, thyme, myrrh, calendula, and geranium. Use 10 to 12 drops in a hot foot bath with about 1 to 2 tablespoons of Epsom salts for about 20 minutes. It's important to note that some oils require a dilution with a carrier oil like almond, coconut, or olive. Use this twice daily before putting on clean socks. Make sure the socks are dry. Other methods use things like grapeseed extract. In this situation, you would mix 20 drops in two cups of water in a spray bottle and you spray your feet twice daily for about three weeks for athlete's foot. You spray the inside of your shoes, by the way, with this mixture as well. You might add 20 drops of grapeseed extract to the final rinse cycle of your socks and underwear and allow the clothes to rest in the rinse water for about 10 minutes. If you can do that, that would be great. By the way, these items should be washed in the hottest water possible. Keep your feet, of course, as dry as possible between treatments. And it's also a good idea, like with the oil treatments, to give yourself a week of rest from this treatment every three to four weeks. There are, of course, warm compresses that you can use or herbal baths. They're very soothing, and they may help treat uh, fungal infections. They've used garlic for that, ginger, uh, black walnut, echinacea, fennel, apple cider vinegar, golden seal, thyme, mustard powder, baking soda, even half hydrogen peroxide and half water in a mixture. 
Raw unprocessed honey is an excellent antifungal. Before you go to bed, you might cover the affected area with a thin layer of raw unprocessed honey and cover with loose socks. Colloidal silver might be effective. You apply a thick coating of the gel to the area and allow it to dry. Internal ingestion of this is not really suggested for this purpose. Boric acid and rubbing alcohol, that can be mixed in a ratio of two teaspoons of boric acid to one cup of rubbing alcohol, and then apply that with cotton swabs or Q-tips twice daily. Aloe vera gel, very soothing to cracked peeling and open areas of a chronic infection. Apply that twice daily between treatment applications of maybe the -the over-the-counter medications. Dry applications of various powders might be good to keep the skin dry and help prevent recurrences. Here are some suggestions. Gold bond medicated powder. Uh, Crushed aspirin tablets made into a powder. You might use that. You apply that three times daily to the affected areas. Garlic powder has been used. Baking soda, cornstarch, a number of things have been used for this. Fungal infections can be difficult to eliminate and treat. Your solution may be a different combination of remedies than somebody else's. Each individual is unique. Oh, one other thing. Urinating on your feet in the shower does not work. Urine isn't concentrated enough to make a difference. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health and good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, besides getting a copy of our Survival Medicine Handbook, available even in Germany, by the way, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show, YouTube at Dr. Bones Nurse Amy channel, and Facebook on our Doom and Bloom page. Remember to check out our entire line of medical kits and supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with... Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones, and Amy Alton, also known as Nurse Amy. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.